0: Come on a journey with a cinephile. To episode number 20 of journey with a cinephile a horror movie podcast as always your tour guide david garrett jr recording here out of columbus ohio and on this episode i am going to do a saint patrick's day episode here where i'm going to do featured reviews of into the dark crawlers as well as leprechaun 2 and I also have three mini-reviews for this week of Murder, Death, Koreatown, a newfound footage film, Zombie with a Shotgun, and The Blair Witch Project. A little bit lighter of an episode this week than, you know, kind of like to do, but it's been just a busy week, especially with all this quarantine stuff, which you'd think I'd be able to watch more movies, but I've just had some other things going on. So what I have... I will kind of go into a little bit in the mini-reviews as well as some of the other things that I've been watching that are non-horror. But what I'm going to go do now is send you over to a musical break before I get into those mini-reviews. Enjoy.
1: I've seen a lot of sights and traveled many miles. shook a thousand hands and see my share of smiles. I've caused some great concern and told one too many lies. And now I see the world through these subtle jaded eyes. So what if I threw a party and all my friends are there? Acquaintances, relatives, the girls who never care. You'll no, have a hoarse sorority, hooligans, in a big line out the door. Side by side, we the bar. Wells and body Orr, and invite the again. Replace the window, you smashed down. I a party. Nerve and courage too cause I've been slugging from a stash of Desi Qualies 1980s uh-huh.
0: for my first mini review for this week is going to be for Murder Death Koreatown. This is from 2020. I will get into this but there are no director, writer or anybody starring in it according to IMDb. This is though a crime horror mystery film from the United States and there are no ratings as it just came out as it released at a film festival on 229 so on, you know, leap day of this year. But this is a weird film that I got the chance to check out, is I got a press screener for it. The person from Audience House Productions reached out to me, going under the name of Joe BB, and provided the link with very limited information. Now to get into this, the synopsis for this movie is, after his neighbor's real-life murder and an unemployed man goes down the rabbit hole of investigating what he believes to be a conspiracy... Now, just to give a little bit more background information, we're never given the name of the man that stars in this, but this is a found footage film where he is investigating this murder. And we kind of see him descend into madness as the more information that he finds out, and as everybody's telling him to give it up, he continues on this path. Now, as I was saying, I really didn't know a whole lot coming in, as there's not really anything to give, and they don't really want to spoil anything. And, you know, I like to do this when I come in, you know, blind, so I don't have any sort of preconceived notions. But that's not necessarily by design for this one. Now, I did a little bit of research, you know, if I don't know things after I'm done watching it. But this is intriguing is that according to the press materials and the IMDB, as I was saying, all of this is unknown. There are no actors listed in the materials that just state that the editor of the footage wanted to stay anonymous, just going by the name of K. Anon. And I'll have to admit, I find this all to be pretty effective overall. This feels a lot like the Blair Witch Project on a smaller stage. They did more to present that this is really happening. And a lot of that came from the budget, the credits, you know, for the Blair, Witch. now for this one, the credits, the movie are stating that all the proceeds are going to go to finding the person who made this movie as they don't know. The only thing that you have to go off of is the footage and some pictures of what the person looked like. And what I find effective was that I think this, you know, kind of gives the explanation here to an extent as well. For me, there was a love hate relationship with the main character. He has been unemployed for some time in his life, which is losing purpose. His girlfriend has a job and is supporting them. The murder and the little bit of mystery that he discovers drives him. Now, I can connect with that because before getting into doing reviews, I was lost and quite depressed. When everyone keeps telling him to give it up and you go back to the real world, he doesn't want to. He has to believe there is something more... ...here to give him purpose, and he states that he. this could be the most important thing to happen to him. So by going back to normalcy, it's just taking that away from him, you know, taking away his purpose. Now, the movie is narrated by him as he's filming, and I have to say, I like the information as it's presented. I never got bored, and I think that it was effective to keep this at a shorter runtime of about 80 minutes. The only fact of the matter... I think that we have someone here who is mentally unstable and is making connections to things that aren't really there. Everyone is telling him to give it up as I said and he continues on. The ending made me question things and I like the unnerving feeling that that gave me. thought the acting was really good here in the fact that it feels amateur. There were times that I was cringing but I like to think that adds to this though. This is people that are being randomly interviewed by someone who is unstable so you can't really trust him. The main guy though I thought was really good in this. He drives this and the lack of information about him drives the mystery as well and then to maintain the sense of realism i like the simplicity of the effects there are really not a whole lot to be honest which helps i'm glad that everything was done practical to maintain that sense there were some creepy things done with eyes and just the way things are framed with cinematography is shaky but that helps there as well this really does feel like an amateur who is filming this and doesn't necessarily know what they're doing and then the last thing to cover would be the soundtrack Which, for the most part, is ambient noise. We do get some sounds around him as he's walking around and interviewing people. Now, there was music that actually really started to bother me periodically. But seeing that someone legit, you know, found the footage and edited it, that's not an issue for me. They're making it more entertaining to get viewers to help them get to the bottom of the story. And I think that kind of adds a little interesting aspect there. Now, with that said, this is an interesting piece of cinema that I kind of think it's difficult to do. I think that we have an interesting story of an unstable person thinking that there's a conspiracy around him. There's some social relevance to it as well. I felt similar things to the main character, but not just to that level. The acting and cinematography feel amateur, but I think it really should. Coupling that with the ambient noise it fits, The music in it doesn't bother me as it's edited by someone after the fact. If you don't like found footage, I would avoid this. If you do like it, though, I'd recommend giving this a viewing as it has a feel of the Blair Witch Project just in the city, but with the amount of effort put in to hide the information, especially in this day and age, makes this really enjoyable. Now, I would rate this as a good movie and found it quite interesting if you couldn't tell, and my rating here is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then next on the list, I have Zombie with a Shotgun from 2019. This was written and directed by Hilton Ariel Ruiz. It stars Braden Bade, Catherine Kuhn, and Kyle Hester. This is a action horror romance from, from the United States. This is currently sitting on a 4.5 on IMDb. And there's not enough ratings yet on I, on Letterboxd, but it does look like most everything is hovering between a, I would say right around the middle of about one and a half to two stars there. With the synopsis being that this is a feature adaptation of a popular web series of the same name. We have Aaron Walker, who is Bade, and Rachel Young, who is Kuhn, are on the run due to him being infected with a virus. They must get to the truth of the matter before it is too late. Now this is a movie I decided to check out when I was reached out to via Twitter that this had been added to Amazon Prime as well as Tubi. I didn't know much about it, and the title sounded intriguing, so I decided to give it a go. And just to kind of give a little bit more background information, we know that we have Aaron and Rachel are on the run as he's infected with something. We kind of learned that there's a much larger plot going on, where it seems to be known that there is this virus going around, and that the police are told to not shoot anybody that is infected. We see that might not be the case and that there might be a deeper conspiracy plot going on behind all of this. But I will say I unfortunately thought the story was a little bit of a mess. I don't want to come down too hard on this because there are some things that I really liked. And I also think that it's great that this independent movie was made. So I do want to give credit for that. But the first thing would be the title. My initial assumption here was that they're playing off of the more grindhouse title of Hobo with the Shotgun, which would also be fitting that there's a hobo in the movie who is played by Jeremy Foltz. The more that I've looked into this, and as a synopsis stated, there's a web series that this is based on, and I'm almost thinking it could have been originally based on that title, but I cannot confirm. The title here makes me think this is gonna be a bit of a comedy. But that's not really that at all, as there are some interesting ideas here that are socially relevant. Now it's fitting that I'm writing this After I'd watched the movie during the start of the coronavirus quarantine as we were dealing with the virus, you know, here in this movie, we do get some secretive government agent aspects to this that I thought was kind of interesting. It is at first hinted at, which I like that there's always a conspiracy theorist that these people are like talking to. The more we learn, though, the less far-fetched that seems. This also does some cool stuff with the zombie mythology. If you know me, this is a genre that I love the heavy hitters, but you need to really do something new if you're going to, you know, make one nowadays. I like this one. The zombies do eat flesh, but they're not mindless. There are some slight inconsistencies here, though. With something revealed at the end, I think that other zombies should just act like we expect them to, but that's not really the case. So I just think if you're going to establish mythology, you need to stick with it. But I will say, I do like the aspects here where... This virus was created for other reasons this zombie thing starts to happen and we get that they're really kind of kidnapping these people and that no matter what it doesn't really matter that they just need to be taken in and they need to be studied and that they really aren't going to be able to survive in the end even though what has happened with Aaron is definitely something that they weren't necessarily expecting but I do think this is kind of an interesting thing especially with you know the coronavirus outbreak where we're really questioning the healthcare system in the United States, which is, I don't wanna get too much into this, but I definitely think that it's been going on for far too long with some of the issues there. But I'm glad that it seems to be looked at at the moment. But then to get back on track, the pacing here, I would have to say I was bored for a good chunk of the movie. I think it's just trying too hard to present this backstory and mythology here, but it didn't hold my attention. There are some laws that go on a bit too long and that really could be part of it as well. I just think that there's a web series that they're banking on the fact that people probably haven't seen. So they're trying to kind of get you up to speed with all of that. And it just takes too long for the crux of the movie. And it seems like they're trying to build to a sequel or a possible series. And I think that might have been too ambitious if you don't make this original one stronger. Now, the acting was something else that I wasn't overly impressed with. But I don't want to say it's bad. I thought that Bade was fine as the lead. He really does come off as wooden. But I think that works as he's infected, so he's in pain throughout most of this as this virus is trying to take over. Now that worked for me. Kuhn is easy on the eyes, but I don't really think she's really presented very well early on because at first we don't necessarily trust her and that really goes nowhere. And there's just one scene and then we ignored it from that point on. I thought the rest of the cast was fine. We get a bit of a nudity, which is nice, but no one really stood out aside from that. Now something else that was really hit or me were the effects. I thought for the most part they looked good, especially the look of the zombies. The only gripe that I had was that... One is featured in the beginning and at the end, but I could clearly see he's wearing a mask and that the teeth just didn't look real. It didn't help that you could see into the mouth as well. Aside from that, they were good, including the blood in the movie. The only other issue would be the CGI with the gun flashes in the movie. I did, I did think the cinematography was well done, and there are some just really amazing looking establishing shots. And the last thing would be the soundtrack and sound design. I did notice this one, and I thought the selections were good. It fit the movie for what they were needing and helped build the feel of the scenes during the moments that I noticed it. Now, I did have some issue with the sound design itself, though. They did some things where it just didn't sound right. Like, it almost sounded muffled and... I think a lot of it were where they were filming at doesn't isn't conductive to the recording of sound, and I could tell, and it just feels inconsistent. And if I notice that, it doesn't sit well. Not that said. This is a movie that I thought did some good things, but others not so much. Since this was legitimately an independent cinema, I'm a little bit more forgiving as they're not working with the same budgets. There are some really good concepts and the story behind it is interesting. If I have a problem here, it's with just the mythology being inconsistent. The acting was pretty amateur. The effects were hit or miss as was the sound design. The soundtrack did work for me, though, and if I had to give this a rating, I would say this is about average for me. I don't think most will like this one, but I didn't mind it, so I just wanted a bit more from what they were giving us. So my rating here is going to be a 5 out of 10. Okay, and for my next review is The Blair Witch Project from 1999. This is written and directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. This stars Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. This is a horror mystery film from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being three film students vanish after traveling into a Maryland forest to film a documentary on the local Blair Witch Legend. Now, this is a film that I remember seeing for the first time. My parents had rented it, I believe, or my dad possibly had just purchased the VHS because he was kind of a collector. Regardless, we had watched this together as a family. Now my sister and I were terrified as we didn't have the internet and so we thought everything that we saw was real and this would be around 2000 and it wasn't until years later that we learned that this wasn't the case and I know for me it was when I saw Heather Donahue in like a Sonic commercial or something as she was supposedly to be a missing person from what happened here in this movie. And this last rewatch here that I just had was my girlfriend had never seen this. I had shown her a found footage film and she decided that she really kind of wanted to check this out. So that was another reason there. And it kind of just as it was saying, they go around to Burkittsville, Maryland, where the was it originally called Blair. And they interview some townspeople, including somebody named Mary Brown, who was portrayed by Patricia DeCool. Mary Brown was supposedly had a run in with the Blair Witch when she was younger. And there's also supposed to be a local legend surrounding a child murderer by the name of Rustin Parr. They go to this place called Coffin Rock, where they do a little bit of documentary stuff there. And I should also point out here that the three characters in the movie are the three names that I said earlier, and they go by their names in real life as well here in the movie. They kind of descend into, you know, if you haven't seen this already, they descend into frustration and terror as they get lost in the woods, and they keep hearing things at night as well as finding some pretty creepy things out in the woods as well. And then to kind of just give my thoughts here as i've said earlier i did think for the longest time that this was real it probably took me until i got the internet and kind of other things to finally figure that information out it doesn't make sense now that i would have thought that but i do have to give credit to the filmmakers as they did a great job at their campaign They decided that they wanted to make everyone believe that this was real, and this included doing documentaries with the sci-fi channel and things to that extent. I know my sister has read books and seen a lot of that stuff, which I haven't, but I thought that was kind of a cool idea. And I have to say, this is a genius thing for me, especially since they had a low budget. If not for all of that, I don't know if this film would be as successful or as creepy as it is. But it is a premise that we can connect with. The scary thing is that even today, with all the technology that we have, something like this could happen. We definitely could get lost in the woods, out in the country, and never be found again. This film really is light in the supernatural, which makes the moments even scarier for me, as there is a plausible explanation behind a lot of the things. You just need a little bit more information. Then I have to say, the scenes at night in the pitch black really get the tension going for me. And then the real life horror of exhaustion, lack of food, and maybe never getting out here, you know out of these woods as well but the pacing and the editing of this film is interesting the realism is there and it does just feel like three college students trying to get themselves out of the mess that they're in none of them are very experienced out in the woods so the bad choices they make end up making things even worse the basic story is simple and the footage is edited in a way where it feels like they would record for stretches and that is what we get the longer that they're lost the more the tension builds It can come from the interactions between the characters as tempers flare, and also from what happens at night. The film is actually written well as there are callbacks to things that we saw earlier in the movie, which I'm a sucker for. The ending is bleak and simple, but effective in my eyes. I'm not sure this film would be as strong if not for the acting of the trio though. Donahue, Leonard and Williams are really just playing themselves, and from what I've read, some of the things that they're actually seeing isn't acting. They did stay out in the woods and the writers and director Myrick and Sanchez really did mess with them and to get the most visceral reactions they could. It is kind of messed up to hear, but it did make up for, you know, for a much better product because of it. The interviewees were all great as well in my eyes. There's such an amateur feel that it brings a sense of realism. Now for the effects here, there aren't really any to kind of state, but it doesn't need them. I have read that they really wanted to have a witch to be seen, But I'm glad that they didn't because they couldn't really make it happen in a way that would work. So I think the budgetary reasons here actually work in its benefit. The little tiki-like figures that we get are creepy. And the setting just really makes it. And the old house that they discover as well. And the last thing I want to cover here before I wrap this up would be the soundtrack. The film doesn't really have anything that is not ambient. I'm glad that they didn't use music as that would have broken the realism. The use of sounds while they're, you know being in the woods was great that is what really just drives quite a bit of the fear especially at night something i noticed this time is that at the end all of the sounds is really just coming from the non-film camera i bring this up because it's unnerving watching heather's footage while she's upstairs but then hearing it coming from a different area and i think that's used strategically now with that said this film is interesting in the grand scheme of things not a lot happens I can see that this being an issue for some people, and I think that really is what makes this great is that they stick to the realism and it truly feels like a documentary. The true horror comes from being lost, exhaustion, and being hungry. What happens to them at night really makes it even worse and builds attention. The acting seems real and even though there's not a lot in the way of effects, what we get is solid. The soundtrack in the film was used strategically as well if you've never seen this i would say give this a viewing i think this is a really good film and definitely helped spark the found footage boom that happened again after its release and for kind of what we're still seeing and i mean a lot of that goes back to the lack of needing a big budget to kind of make things like this happen but as i said this is one of my favorites in this subgenre, and i had to come in here with a 9 out of 10. all right this has been another a little bit lighter week as i've been watching a few episodes of the outsider as well as I watched another documentary that was on HBO of McMillions. So it's been a little bit lighter for movies this week, but what I'm gonna go ahead and do is send you over to the trailer of my first featured review on the St. Patty's Day episode.
1: Listen up, you drunks! It's time for the bar crawl! Have you guys seen Chloe? Hey, it's St. Patrick's Day. You call this celebrating? What's going on? What does it look like? Aliens. Aliens? Alien imposters. Are rapidly replacing the citizens of this town. Holly! She's gone. They took her. And I don't want to hear about some conspiracy theory right now.
0: We need to get out of here right now.
1: Stop the car! Well, we're all fucked. You just have a gun on you? Got off the dead alien.
0: And for my first featured review on this episode, it is going to be Crawlers. This is the March episode of Into the Dark on Hulu that comes from Blumhouse. This is directed by Brandon Zuck. It was written by Catherine Wignall and Mike Gon with a story by Catherine Wignall as well. This stars Georgia Wingham, Pepe Sonuga, and Cameron Fuller. This is a horror thriller from the United States. This is currently sitting on a 5.6 on IMDB and a 2.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being on St. Patrick's Day, a night of wild parties and drunken revelry. Three unlikely friends band together to save a college town from a vicious horde of body-switching aliens. Now, this is the one I decided to check out as I wanted to do this, you know, St. Patty's Day special. And I wanted to do a new horror movie that would fit the theme. And thankfully, I didn't have to look far due to, you know, Blumhouse's Into the Dark. I just knew of this from some other podcasts and had saw it popped up on my Hulu. Figured that this was probably something to do with a bar crawl from the title. Other than that, I came in pretty blind. I haven't listened to any podcasts or anything. I just know people have covered this. Now, to give you the premise, it's a little bit out of order from how everything is introduced in the movie. We're seeing a video of Shauna, who is Wingham, who is into conspiracy theories. She gives us the background of the town that she was born and raised in. And just to give you that, it is a college town that takes its St. Paddy's Day rituals very serious. We get to see a new police officer, who is Dominic, played by David Carzel, As he's calling in when he sees a bunch of people who are intoxicated and they're creating a ruckus in the street and doing a bunch of pranks. He's told to stand down, and while he's looking at some women while he's driving, he ends up hitting someone. He gets out and checks on them, and the person then bites him. Shawna then tells us that it's not zombies, but aliens. We then are following Misty, who is Sonuga, as she's bummed that her friend Chloe, who was portrayed by Jude DeMorest, didn't invite her out. She has been kind of mopey, and is getting ready to send a passive-aggressive text, but decides to just show up to the bar instead. Now, Chloe is happy to see her and introduces Misty to her new friend, Yu Jin, portrayed by Olivia Leong. Chloe seems to be the queen of the bar and is pretty much running all the festivities as well. Now, a guy orders her a drink and it he's, I believe, portrayed to be the president of his fraternity. Now, his name is Aaron and he's Fuller. Sitting with him is his friend, Michael, who is Zachary Rusin this man is the reason that misty isn't a funk she believes that she was drugged by him and that she woke up in his frat she thinks that he attacked her but she cannot remember anything now chloe has distanced herself and misty is upset as she thinks that chloe doesn't believe what she is telling her now things take a turn when misty thinks she sees chloe leave with aaron misty was talking to shauna you know who's also the local drug dealer as well as conspiracy theorist. so she knows how it feels to not be believed and she decides to go with misty to the fraternity house where things aren't as they seem and shauna is convinced that it is aliens that are behind everything now the question ends up becoming what happened to chloe and really is shauna right now i'm trying to be cryptic here in my recap but to be honest I didn't even try fixing the synopsis as we learn this information about the aliens within the first 15 minutes of the movie to be honest the reveal there isn't really that important as it's more about seeing this group of people band together solve their differences as they try to save the world what i like here though is the social relevance now if you've been listening or reading any of my reviews consistently you know there was a major release that was a remake from blumhouse that really tried to be a feminist film This movie here does so much better with that message they're trying to convey. It really fits into the story and helps to build things. Misty believes that she was drugged and woke up in Michael's bed, which I said earlier. She believes that she was also assaulted. Now, I'm a bit confused is that I think she would know if she was attacked or not, or at least if she suspects. She would probably get checked out where they could tell her yes or no. As a male, I could be naive to this, so if that's the case, I apologize. I do want to give credit to the performance of Sonuga here, though she conveys the isolation of trying to come to terms with what happened to her the police don't believe her her best friend doesn't seem to believe her either and she's now just standoffish towards males because of the slight that happened to her we really see this with aaron in the movie who is trying to befriend her and try to smooth things over but you know she's very rude to him where this works though he does the right thing in learning from his mistake and acknowledging that he has made a mistake for not doing more she sees this. They legit have a conversation, and it progresses the plight in a way that is constructive instead of being how they do in that other film that I am referring to. And I also like how they introduce the problem of this movie as well. We learn through Shauna in passing about a meteorite that had crashed outside of this town forty years ago. Now, as I've said a few times here, she's a conspiracy theorist as well as a drug dealer. So I like that we're building of a character that you can't necessarily believe her i wouldn't say that she's unreliable but she has things that we ignore when it comes from somebody we don't necessarily trust and it's also interesting is that she claims that her mother was there the night that it crashed and it's interesting is that i was also on saint patty's day which i like that it builds in why nobody believed her mother as you know being a holiday that revolves around drinking you're not necessarily going to believe everything that you are being told if i do have any issues here though it was with the creatures themselves They look like us so it really is a take on the invasion of the body snatchers concept where we get to see that there are issues that chloe thinks that aaron attacked her so it's hard to not believe her and it's kind of an interesting duality there that she's reaching out to misty who is trying to tell her what really happened and she doesn't necessarily believe it so we're kind of having a weird duality there The problem, though, is that the people get bit and then they change. My question is then are the people doing the biting? Do they have a look to them at first? Because if they do, we never see it. I think at least they should have made that change where we get to at least see an alien or two before they bite somebody, because the way they're trying to convey this here is that they're kind of a microorganism that takes over people. But that's not the case is we see in the first time that the cop gets bit that the person changes to look exactly like him. I just don't like that, and it doesn't really necessarily make sense unless we get to see that there are a alien that has its own form before it changes. Currently, this is all what I'm just assuming. If anybody knows anything that I could have missed and would like to let me know just so I can you know, revisit this, that would be great. And then to shift this to the pacing, I thought that overall it was good. The movie runs 90 minutes, and it gets right into it with the cold open of seeing Officer Dominic encountering it and then getting our first backstory elements from Shauna. I do have an issue with the editing though, where the movie will stop so she can give us voiceover narration. The voiceover isn't the issue that I had though, but it's more of stopping the movie to do this. I thought it was jarring and glad they get away from it as things proceed on. They do it still, but not to the extent in the beginning. I don't mind showing the video where she is making as I, even though it does feel like a little bit of a spoiler. I can get over that though. I also thought the ending was fine for what the movie was building towards, not one that's great or will stick with me or anything like that. Taking us to the acting here, I thought that Wingham was really good as a lead. I love the quirky character that she's playing. She feels a bit slighted by the college students in the town that she grew up in, but she won't let them be better than her, or she kind of will put them in their place and point out that just because they're going to college, they're not smarter than her. I like that she's a conspiracy theorist who is also a drug dealer, and I also found her quite attractive. Now, I've already covered what i thought about sonuga's performance but i will say that i thought she did really good fuller is solid and i like the development of his character liang and d morrist are really solid as well as the rest of the cast i thought everybody fit their role for what was needed in this type of movie they're not really great or anything like that but just fit as for the effects overall i thought they would say they were good the movie doesn't really use a lot of them though which is in its benefit. I thought the bit of blood that we get both human and alien was also realistic looking. I don't mind the effects of introducing the characters names like something we saw in the babysitter. It did help me establish who they were which I'm always appreciative of. I did have some slight issues though with blood splatter as it was done with CGI. Thankfully there's not a lot of that but it's and it's not a major problem. I just thought that the cinematography was solid as well to end out that little section. And the last thing to cover would be the soundtrack. I thought the selections fit throughout for what was needed. It doesn't necessarily stick out, but it also didn't hurt the movie either. I did want to comment on a song that was used in the opening credits, as well as another one at the start of the end credits. Both of them were really good to the point where I think I might seek them out to add to my collection, especially if I'm running. Now, with that said, I thought this was another solid installment to Blumhouse's Into the Dark. There are some interesting social elements that are working here into this story very well with the backdrop of an alien invasion. I even think that it furthers the feminist plight in a way that is constructive and not ham-fisted. The acting is solid to go along with it and it is pacing in a way where things keep moving the effects were also pretty good but if i did have any issues it would be the cgi blood splatter i also thought the stopping of the movie to explain things bogs it down slightly and i have some minor issues with the aliens themselves none of this ruins it for me though and i would say that this is above average it is fun where i would consider you know watching this again with friends um especially ones that are more on the feminist side with their thought processes just to see what they would think about something like this So my rating here is going to be a 6.5 out of 10. And I don't really have any spoilers to kind of go into here. There's nothing overly deep with the story. So what I'm going to go ahead and do, though, is send you over to the trailer of my second featured review here on the St. Paddy's Day episode.
1: Soon, my dear, it's almost time. True love can be hard to find. For some, it takes a lifetime. For him, it took a thousand years. God bless you. And now that he's finally found her, he's going to love her. I'm back. To death. Richard!
0: and for my second featured review of this episode and sticking with as i've said the saint Patty's day theme i have leprechaun 2 this came from 1994 this is directed by rodman flender this comes from characters by mark jones and the screenplay was written by turi Mayer and alfredo septian this is starring warwick davis charlie heath and siobhan durkin This is a comedy fantasy horror film from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.6 on IMDb and a 2.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being on his 1,000th birthday, and Eva Leprechaun selects a descendant of one of his slaves to have as his bride, leaving it up to the girl's boyfriend to save her. Now, I remember the first time that I saw this movie, when it came out on VHS, my dad rented it for my sister and me. Where I'm pretty sure I probably watched this multiple times before we returned it. I don't know if I've seen it since then, though. It did stick with me despite this, though. At least there was a couple deaths that I remembered. Now, we start this back in the country of Ireland. We have a man fleeing, who is William O'Day, portrayed by James Lancaster. But he's knocked down as if he ran into something. And that's when we realize that the leprechaun, who is Davis, appears. And he's the one that you know caused him to get knocked over. He then informs his slave that he'll be marrying soon which will free William even though then it turns out that the bride is William's daughter who is portrayed by Durkin the curse happens when she sneezes three times without being blessed William is faced with his freedom, or his daughter being the bride of this creature. Now, he decides to save her, which in turn kills him, but the Leprechaun vows that he will marry the descendant of William before he dies as well. Now, for the credits, we do get to see Durkin throughout the years, and this includes a ship where we know that she comes over to America, and then the descendants, all the way up to the president of the movie, and then she is now going by the name of Bridget. And again, portrayed by Durkin. And she's going to meet her boyfriend, who is Cody, portrayed by Heath. Now, he works for a haunted tour that runs in Los Angeles, where we see him gaming some people into paying to go on this ride. With one of the couple I thought was pretty cool being Clint Howard and Kimmy Robertson. Now, with all the tickets sold, he goes to Morty, who is Sandy Baron, as he's in a local pub, as it's St. Patrick's Day and fun fact actually I'll interject here is that this is the only leprechaun movie from what I read that takes place on the holiday but the problem with Morty is that he's too drunk to drive. Now Cody was supposed to take Bridget go-karting but he has to break that plan to be the guide on this tour. We see that he's not the greatest and that Bridget is upset and one of the last stops is at Harry Houdini's house where a homeless man portrayed by Billy Beck spooks them. The car leaves and this homeless man goes into the bushes it is there that he makes his bed by a tree and we see a little plaque on it that it's from ireland now he puts a bottle of whiskey down that he takes a swig from and something magical pulls into the tree this is when the leprechaun then appears from it before heading off to find bridget he steals one of the homeless man's teeth as it's gold and then in his wake he leaves destruction as he tries to fulfill the legacy from a thousand years prior oh and that's actually something i should point out here is that on St. Paddy's Day, he has to marry somebody one of his 1,000th birthdays in order to be able to kind of, I think, just for that ritual to, to actually happen. So that's where he goes about, is to try to find Bridget to fulfill this legacy. Now, I should probably address that one of my biggest issue with sequels is continuity. This movie does not acknowledge that the previous one existed. So that is an issue for me, but I did hear on the 22 shots of moods and horror when they covered this movie as on their franchise show where double shot J on that show gave a theory. And after seeing this film, I think I actually agree with him. The leprechaun in the first movie is different from this one. Of course, they're the same creature, so there's no issues that they look alike, but they're two different ones. The one that wrecks havoc and is killed in that one, isn't the one that we're following here. This one has been waiting a thousand years for the next chance to marry the descendant of O'Day. So it doesn't follow anything that would ruin the continuity. And I don't feel like there's any issues there. Now with that out of the way, this movie does introduce some things that wasn't in the original. I feel that this one makes up a bit of lore. I've never heard of associating that you can steal a leprechaun's pot of gold or at least a piece of gold. that you get three wishes now i've heard that with genies or djins but not leprechauns now i have heard you do get at least a wish and there's a kill in this that really the only time that it plays with this idea and it is one that stuck with me from the mid-90s that i said earlier you know the last time i watched this movie now watching it with a critical eye i can see that there's some logic here that is flawed but i do like that this three wish kill takes place on the fact that this character is definitely greedy. Now to get back to the positives, I do like that they play up the fact that leprechauns are tricksters. It really does play a lot with the lead and much of all the deaths in this movie kind of play off of this idea as well. I even like that Cody knows this information and uses it to his advantage as he's trying to survive the night now to shift over i thought the pacing was fine i never got bored with the movie it has a runtime of 85 minutes that i think is right around where it should be the movie never wastes any time we get introduced to the lore and that we need to know for this sequel and then it fills in things as needed i do think things were added for a bit of padding but that's not really necessarily an issue for me if anything i do think that bridget is a is wasted a bit and i think that there should have been more difficult to her but i think it kind of creates more difficult issues if she's running around where the leprechaun is trying to get this gold piece back that he's lost as well as try to get her back to his lair now the movie does feel somewhat similar to the original in this sense is that as i was saying he has a missing piece of gold and wants it back And there's a human that has it, so he has to mess with them to try to, before he can go about getting married, that he needs to get this back. As, you know, leprechauns are greedy. And then it also adheres to the gold piece protecting the person who has it, and then it must be given back to the leprechaun willingly. That will take me to the acting, which I think Davis as this monster, and I just love how he plays the role, and I do have to give credit to the writing here. There are some hilarious rhymes that are dropped. His ability to do the Irish accent really helps. This isn't necessarily an Oscar-worthy performance, but perfect for this movie. I also thought Heath was fine. I do think that he brings a bit of street sense to the role, as well as he's pretty charming, to be honest. Now, Durkin is someone that I've seen... I did a few different movies here from the 90s, and I know from another one growing up that I remember her being in where she's the babysitter in The Ghost in the Machine. So she had a little decent run there in the 90s. I find her attractive in her own way, and I thought her acting was fine. If anything, I think they probably hid that she's not the greatest actress by having her locked up and kind of doing things by herself for a good portion. I really liked Baron as the drunk scoundrel in the movie. He really fits that role, and then I also like the cameos that we get here from... Robertson as well as Howard and then we also get to see Tony Cox playing a black leprechaun we also have Billy Beck who kind of already alluded to him a little bit but he is actually also the homeless man from the Blob remake so it's fun to see him doing another role like that here we also have Michael McDonald who many of us will know from Mad TV as I believe his name was Stewart in that and that's probably the most famous role that I ever remember him from but he does play a waiter inside of a coffee shop all of them, as well as the rest of the cast, just rounded this out for what was needed. The effects were something that worked for me here as well. I'm glad that this came out when it did, before the CGI boom took off of the 90s, because most of that CGI was really bad. Everything this movie looked to have been done practical, and it gives it some charm. There's a death with a pot of gold in the stomach that, as I've said before, really stuck with me, and I thought it looked pretty solid, to be honest. It's not as brutal as I remember it being, because it does look like my imagination kind of filled things in, which I think is more strategic a lot of times. There's also Steam to the Face that I thought was pretty good looking. And then there was also a lawnmower Death. That last one there I thought was interesting because again, we don't get to see anything. So you kind of fill things in, but as it was getting ready to play out, I remembered what was gonna happen there. And the worst would probably have to be there's a skeleton that walks around, but even that I thought looked fine. The cinematography I thought was good and I had no issues there. So with that said, I thought this was a fun movie. There's not really any in the series that's all that great. This one has knee-jerk reaction that it violates continuity, but after hearing a podcast, I don't think it's necessarily the case. This one does have the most interesting story or concept, but I think it does a little bit different while doing a lot of things the same. It's not boring. Kills are pretty solid, and I don't think that the acting is great aside from Davis and Durkin being attractive. The soundtrack fits for what was needed in giving that Irish vibe, but it also doesn't necessarily stand out, so I can't really hold it against it. We also get to learn more about the Leprechaun mythos, even though I don't think all aspects are actually based in real legends about them, which is kind of an oxymoron now that I think about it. And I would say overall that this is an above average movie. Not by much, but not great by any stretch either. Just a few little pieces of trivia here. I'm not really going to do a spoiler section as this movie doesn't have the deepest story, so there's no real kind of thing to delve into there. I did find it interesting that originally the plan was going to be to film this back to back with part three. But when this one wasn't doing the greatest, they kind of scrapped some of the ideas. But they had a whole different plot line for the third movie that does kind of sound a little bit intriguing. But also kind of seems like they might have been going a little too ambitious for movies like this. But that's really all I had there to digress. So if I haven't given my rating, I came in with a six out of ten on this one. And what I'm going to go ahead and do is send you to one last musical break before I close out the show. (laughs) Oh. <laughs>
1: My most fearsome invention yet The Leprechaun A uh, Doctor Monster? What's so scary about a leprechaun? Not a leprechaun, Douglas A lep That's just
0: leprechaun spelled wrong No, no, listen carefully lep I don't get what's so scary about a dyslexic leprechaun Let
1: me educate you to the power of music I am the Leprechaun And I'm the curse of lepercy When people see me on the street They stop pointing me my bandages are covered in these bandages are green And everywhere I see the sign of fighting of the milky charms, the magic we really a tastes sweet, but the side effects are rather vicious. the rainbow to my pot of gold, just watch out for serpents. You'll never get my four leaf cover The game is up, your life is over. Replicon. 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 Hold, my most fearsome invention yet, the leopard con. I am the leopard con Time the morning two, you better stand down. Cause I got a warning for you Listen, Leprechaun You're about to be replaced I'm Dr. Moss's masterpiece And you were just a mistake Apparently you should have proved To be too hard I mean, look at you You're already falling apart I am a Leprechaun And I will never change my spots That's why I won't stop Till I'm out tough guy, you yeah, have to face so, a leprechaun, you're nothing but a pussy. Cat, you can't, you can imagine how sick and twisted I am, you're just a copycat, I wanna be in a sham, rock, rock, so sick, I gave the mic like a disease, battle game, now defeat you with the greatest of ease, now I'm sick of this charade, it's time to say goodbye, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye, I... leprechaun! Uh, corn. I get it now. You like it? Yeah, yeah. It's clever. It's pretty pretty good, right? clever. Well done. Uh
0: Okay, I want to thank you for listening to episode number 20 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If you want to read any of the reviews on this episode or any of my previous reviews, that is reviews of the dead, and that is at horrorreview.webnode.com. You can add me on Facebook at David Michigan Garrett Jr. Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxed, I'm David OSU. Instagram, I'm David OSU87. And if you want to download the FlickChat app, my join code to get to this podcast there is Journey with a cinephile. And What I'm going to go ahead and do for episode number 21 is I'm going to get jump back on the Centennial Club episodes that I have been doing, where I know I'm going to do Genuine, which I believe is a vampire film from 1920, and I'm not necessarily sure with the theaters closed right now what... 2020 film that i'm going to try to pair it up with i'm going to see if there's another vampire film that is out this year that i have not seen yet but that'll be something that i'll try to figure out clearly before the next episode comes out but i do want to thank you for listening this is david garrett jr signing off and i hope you have a great day with whatever you're gonna do